This is Voices of Texas, the podcast featuring the most interesting Texans you've never heard of. Recording in Midland, Texas, here is your host, Matthew Hinman. Welcome to episode one of Voices of Texas, the podcast about Texans. Today is November 15th, 2014, and I'm so glad that you're listening to the inaugural episode of Voices of Texas. My name is Matthew Hinman, and I'm recording in my home studio in Midland, Texas. With me today is author Rodney Blockett, and he joins me today from his home in Frisco, Texas. Rodney, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Matthew. Glad to be here. Well, it's really great that you agreed to do this first podcast with me, and to be honest, I'm just a little nervous about it. Uh, but uh, the great thing about recording this beforehand is that we get to edit later, right? Right. I, I think we'll be fine. I wouldn't worry too much. <laughs> well, you know, I've spent the majority of my years in Texas, and this, this is where this podcast comes from, is just meeting interesting people throughout my life here in Texas. And I spent the first few years of my childhood in my birthplace in Northern Ohio. And uh, you're not a native Texan either. Where, where did you grow up? What about you? Well, I'm originally from Joplin, Missouri. Um, Joplin is in the very southwest corner of the state of Missouri. Uh, in fact, it's actually referred to as the four-state area because within less than 50 miles, you're in Oklahoma, Kansas, or Arkansas. So um, that's where I've lived until um, about six years ago. It's kind of a small town, would you say? Yeah, uh, population's around 45,000 uh, people there, um, a little less now after the tornado uh, as far as things and I know that we'll probably visit a little bit about that um, but yeah it's it's about 45,000 people kind of uh, blue collar uh, I guess type of town um, being in the center of the state of uh, or actually being the center of the United States um, trucking transportation is a big industry uh, in Joplin. Was was it like growing up for for you in Joplin? Um, well it was great I mean the, um, I'm I'm be 50 next year, so the time I grew up, it was, um, you know, your typical hometown. Um, in Joplin, I was, you know, outside playing from dawn till dusk, and um, luckily being in Joplin um, all my life, I got a chance to know everyone, or it seemed like I knew everyone there, or a lot of people there, so just really a kind of a close-knit uh, community. Oh, yeah. So, in a town like that, where you have a close knit community, you probably had people that influenced you uh, greatly uh, because of that that small town life. What kind of people were your greatest influencers growing up? Yeah, there was there's several different people. Obviously, my mom and dad. You know, my dad was a sign painter um, and did that all of his life. Um, but I, I did a lot of things in the church um, at the time, and so there was two or three different people who were kind of influential youth ministers and and pastors that in the area that, that were there. And then later on, I I ended up actually serving on the school board for six years. And a lot of the pe- reason I did that was because uh, the guy who was actually my principal in high school became the superintendent of schools, and so I'd always had a had an admiration for him and the things that he had done. So a lot of diverse, um, different kind of people in Joplin that you were able to kind of look up to on things that they were able to do. Right, right. Well, now you've lived in Texas for probably, what, three or four years now? Uh, actually, almost six now. Almost yeah, six. I can't believe how long we've been here. So. <laughs> Time flies, doesn't it? Well, yeah. other than the palm trees, uh, what strikes you as the big difference between Texas life over Missouri life? Um, well, it's uh, obviously in the in the DFW area, it's a little faster pace as far as the driving's concerned. Um, but 
I think the biggest thing we've seen is just kind of the weather where it's, um, and we're in Missouri in the wintertime, the snow actually stays on the ground and it's a little colder. Uh, whereas here, snow tends to be gone the next day. Uh, summers are a little hotter. Uh, we have our 100 degree weather and uh, usually in the month of August uh, up in Joplin. But here, as someone told me, August lasts four months, uh, which is fairly accurate. So but we really, we really like it here. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, so, um, we know you're the author of the book called Rocket Science Made Easy. Now, this is not a science textbook at all, is it? It is not, no. It's the exact opposite. <laughs> so what inspired you to write this book? Well, I had a, um, an interest in just kind of what makes people do what they do. Uh, so several years ago, kind of working in the hospital industry at the time, um, me and a friend of mine would always look at the way they were doing things and say, this is so backwards, you know, it's, they're making it way more difficult than it has to be, you know, it's not rocket science. And so I started writing some things down, uh, thinking, well, that'd be kind of a cool book uh, to be able to do that. And then as time went along, um, as in most, what I found with most people writing book is you'll kind of put it down and then a few months later you pick it up saying, I really need to finish this. And kind of went through that cycle for a while. And then um, with over the past several years, I've been doing uh, working in the media industry with small newspaper groups and um, throughout the country. And, and they, same thing, I find that they do a lot of things that were very um, out of the ordinary. And it seems like it was way more difficult. So I started blogging um, on those things, short little thing, short little chapters. And then I was talking to a, a publisher, and it's like, well, why don't we just put these blogs into a book? Um, so that's kind of how the book came into being. It's they're actually just little one and two page chapters with kind of a short story, um, and I try to end all of them with the phrase, "It's not rocket science; it's rocket science made easy." You know, one of my favorite parts of the book is about the orange cone, and you know where we live out here in West Texas. All the AT&T guys stay at the same hotel down the street. And what do you know? There's a half a dozen trucks parked out there, all with orange cones out there in the front of the back of the truck. Exactly. So, uh, But do you still see that uh, around you, people continue to overcomplicate otherwise what could have been simply accomplished? Yeah, I mean, I think still every day, um, and I still do some consulting work with some groups and, and some speaking and things. I just, it's always uh, kind of funny when you look at it and, and you wonder, you know, why do you keep doing it that way when, you know, you know, kind of like the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Um, but it's, and I think even, uh, it's just kind of off subject, but I even think the uh, popularity of shows like Undercover Boss um, have kind of feeds into the idea of the book is because I think those books are not so much um, that the boss is rewarding people on the field. I think it's so much to see that how sometimes the people that are running organizations are so far out of touch with what's going on um, with the organization, they don't realize they're making things way more complicated than they have to be. I'm sure you probably run into that a lot, though, when you're consulting with these companies. Surely you've run into some company that's just so completely clueless about modern technology that that they complicate everything yeah i think you're right and i think especially in um as you get into smaller uh companies smaller towns where uh, maybe they're not seeing the influx of of technology 
I do a lot of work with small newspaper groups um, where they're the only newspaper in town. So it's hard for them sometimes to understand that people are getting their news and information and other sources that they've got to move in that direction um, as well. But I've also seen kind of the opposite of that, even on the sales side, where people try to make it so complicated with new technology that they miss the point of what the sales process is all about. Um, so I think it goes both ways sometimes as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's true all over. And and for me, reading reading the book was just almost playing back in my mind uh, all those things that I've seen before that I think, wow, they really did overcomplicate this. You know, they could have done it uh, so much simpler. Uh, so well, now going back to Joplin, uh, and I recall uh, my personal acquaintance with you uh, back in May of 2011 that you were affected uh, by that destruction when the tornado hit back then. Uh, yeah, it was really uh, interesting. Living in Joplin, uh, you always have, you know, there's always a tornado. I mean, kind of like sometimes, I guess, in Texas, you always hear about tornadoes and things. And so you kind of get used to it. Um, we never really had anything major. Um, and then actually that evening, my uh, my wife's sister texted her and just said, hey, there's a tornado hit Joplin. And usually when you hear that, you don't think of uh, there being much damage because there's always something going around that time of year. And then we turned on the Weather Channel and saw uh, them reporting from that hospital, actually the hospital my, where my wife used to work at. And then the destruction around was incredible. Um, and actually, my dad was uh, actually in the parking lot of that hospital when it hit. Uh, luckily, he's okay uh, from that, but it was kind of a scare for him. But it, yeah, it was, you just, you never know about that kind of destruction and and how that can affect. We went there the Thursday after the tornado, and uh, it was, I'd seen a lot of things, but I'd never seen anything like that. Um, and I actually gotten lost in the kind of turned around in a couple of places because everything was just gone and you couldn't tell where you were at. So no um, landmarks to find your way around. Exactly. Yeah. Everything is just, um, as is someone explained it well, it's, it's like somebody took a lawnmower and set it at about six feet and just went a, a path about a mile and a half wide and nine miles long. And that was a pretty accurate description. Everything was just kind of gone, uh, in total. But uh, but luckily, at this point in time, um, it's been uh, three years, uh, almost four years now, and um, the town seems to be rebuilding the, the, the new hospital. I think it's going to open uh, in a few months, and the new high school finally got built, and it is uh, it opened in August. So they're starting to kind of bounce back, and I think it's going to take a while um, with something of that magnitude. Right. So they're they're really recovering quite well over there, obviously, and a and a town like that, Midwest. United States, it's it's probably going to just bounce back very quickly. They're doing they're doing very well. Some of the um, some of the neighborhoods aren't going back as quickly as you thought, but I think a lot of that is because you know before where there might have been five hundred houses, now there's two hundred houses, but um, you know they're just different size and shapes now. So um, it looks as if there's not, but most of all the commercial business and and a lot of new businesses come into town. So yeah, I think. With anything, when you take a third of the city out, it's going to take several years to to bounce back. But but they're they're doing well. Yeah, they've got that small town spirit, and they they're ready to go at it again. I'm sure. And exactly. something like that being so terrifying, let's let's bring it into Texas now, because right there in your backyard, 
Uh, you guys had a scare here a while back with uh, the appearance of the deadly Ebola virus uh, exactly. right there in the Metroplex. Now, we're not scientists, we're not physicians, but what's your rocket science take on that whole situation? How could they have dealt with that? Well, I think knowing uh, you know some of the things that they know, um, I would definitely be screening more um, for people coming in. But one of the things I've kind of taken is that um, I think that the scare and the um, the hype of all that. At the end of the day, they had one person who died who was probably pretty pretty sick when he got here, um, and everyone else has been treated and are back to their their lives. So. Well, I think it's something that we have to keep our eye on and, and definitely look at what's going on over in places like Liberia and other places. Um, I think uh, an opportunity to kind of take a step back and, and from the hype and see what we can really do about it and how to deal with it when it gets here uh, is probably worth exploring. Um, I, I did see a couple commentators who were like, the sky is falling, but then I did see a couple others who said, you know, at the end of the day, We've had three people and they've all lived. So it may yeah, not be quite. It's just funny how, how it really, the, the mainstream media really blew this thing up. And uh, it made people feel, I mean, and of course, it resonated clear out here in West Texas as well. And people felt disturbed and they were actually worried about this. Right. My wife's a nurse. And so she's been able to kind of, you know, tell us, you know, here's what, here's how it's really transmitted and here's really, uh, what's going on with it. But it's, it's definitely a scare. And I think the uh, concern may be with flu season coming along. A lot of the symptoms are very similar. So I think the, uh, that whole, um, machine will get ramped up and amped up again, um, probably the first of the year, but if nothing else, hopefully it's, it's been, uh, a cause for them to put more safeguards in place and to be more on on guard for things. Right. And you mentioned your wife there. Uh, has your family ever contributed to the content of your blogs or your book? Uh, yeah, my daughters are in a couple of uh, things. Uh, <clears throat> one of the chapters I think is it's called uh, "Okay," which is the whole chapter. The my the dirt girls are born eight years apart on the same day, and so whenever they would, whenever the the youngest one would be. Was, I don't know, two or three, and or even as she got older, the older one, they would argue about everything, you know, whether the sun is shining or whether the air is breathable. And I would just tell the old one, you know, just older one, just say okay and be done with it. You know, don't, <laughs> that ends a lot of things. And I think that I've used that in a lot of my um, training sometimes too. It's like sometimes it's better just to say okay and move on. Um, I know you've said and so that there's to a couple different ones. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple different ones that I've seen in that, that I put in there too um, that they've done. Um, so yeah, them and I have a couple of idiot labs, um, and so they make it to the uh, the book quite often as well. Good, good old Truman and Max, are they still at it? They are still at it. Yeah, going strong. So, so how do you balance writing a book or a blog with the rest of your life? How do you deal with that? Well, I just um, try to. To whittle out some time, you know, each day or um, you know, if you, in the week to just. And what I tell people on as I write is I'm a, a guy who writes like he talks, so I'm not really a writer. Um, and so, in fact, I, I do a column for a magazine up in Joplin. And, and when I started that, I said, you know, I'm a I'm a guy who writes like he talks. So if you read the read my articles and say that's not 
the correct way to put it, it sounds more like a guy who's writing the way he talks, then I'll be honored because that's what <clears throat> I've come to do. So what I really, I'm not a guy that can kind of sit down and write out five or six pages at a time. I kind of tend to do more short stories and then kind of add to those a little at a time. <clears throat> Excuse me. But a lot of it luckily has been experiences that I see that I either take a picture of something and that reminds me of the story behind it or I just jot something down uh, to do that. My guest today has been Rodney Blockett, author of the book Rocket Science Made Easy. Head over to rocketsciencemadeeasy.com to find out more about it and how you can get a copy. And when is your next book signing? Well, I have a signing up in uh, Carthage, Missouri, which is near Joplin, Missouri, on the 13th of December. Very good. Well, thanks you. thank you very much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you, Matthew. And thanks to all you listeners out there. Don't forget to visit VoicesOfTexas.com for any notes and links and to sign up for notification emails. And of course, if you want to nominate your interesting Texan for an upcoming episode, you can do that right there. I have so many interesting guests coming up in future episodes. So please subscribe if you haven't already. Voices of Texas is on Facebook and Twitter too. So be sure to interact there. And I'll be back for episode two of Voices of Texas. Opinions of guests, co-hosts, and others appearing on this podcast are not necessarily the views of its host, producer, or affiliates. No part of this podcast may be reproduced or retransmitted in any way over any medium without express written consent of the producer.